Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? up live on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network. I'm Bruce Nolan, that's Nate Geary, and this is Food for Thought. The topic du jour, Josh Allen got the bag. Josh Allen got multiple bags. Josh Allen can buy as many bags as Josh Allen would like. He can treat his girlfriend to literally all the bags. Yep. Buy a European man satchel bag for himself. Whatever it is that he wants to the tune of $258 million. Nate Geary, how you doing, dude? I am doing absolutely fantastic. Mr. Nolan, the exclusive man himself. I couldn't be more honored to be co-hosting this wonderful session of football, of food, uh, of all of our passions combined together. Perhaps a little bit of beer as well, which I'll be cracking into my delicious uh, parade upgrade porter from community beer works here shortly. Um, I have been thinking about this podcast all week. Uh, I couldn't be more excited that the folks are here with us hanging out. Um, this is going to be some of the most fun that people have on a Friday evening and during the football season. And, uh, I'm just excited to, uh, to dive in with you, my friend. This is, uh, this is going to be a lot, a lot of fun. I kind of feel like we should make sure that we tell everyone what beer we're drinking when we do this show. I have an award-winning Bumbleberry from Fatheads Brewery in front of me. Very excited about that. And it's going to be a good time. We're going to kick off our shoes. We're going to change into some PJs. Oh, look at the perfect pour on video. Nate doing the perfect pour on video. Guys, thanks so much for being here. We appreciate it. We're thrilled to have you along. And it was awfully nice of Brandon Bean, Josh Allen, and Josh Allen's representation to hook us up like this. Little did you know, it was all part of my master plan. This has all been orchestrated by Bruce Nolan for weeks now to make sure that the Josh Allen extension actually happened the day of the inaugural episode of Food for Thought. I got to be honest, it worked out pretty well, Nate. It worked out swimmingly, Bruce. And how about, listen, from... You know, obviously the situation trending on Twitter, obviously, but Josh Allen has turned into this sort of enigma, right? Like this guy where he represents a bunch of dudes being wrong about football, right? So there, there are people with still an axe to grind with Josh and you see those tweets from now and then, oh, Josh Allen uh, gets paid for having one good year and blah, 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 blah. And, and you and me are sitting around kind of looking at this like, first of all, and we're going to really dive into this uh, just for, for where the contract stands, Bruce, but the Buffalo Bills, particularly Brandon Bean, once again put themselves in a situation to reward their franchise player in a way that rewards him financially. You know, obviously he's the second highest paid player, uh, second highest paid quarterback on a per year average in NFL history, and one of the highest players, if not the highest player, um, in terms of guaranteed money in NFL history, and the highest paid player 
by $161 million in Buffalo Bills history. My man got the bag, and I'll say this, it is deserved. And all in the middle of this, Bruce, a little nugget that maybe wasn't talked about immediately when those numbers came out. Bills can get out of this contract after two years pretty much unscathed. I, I mean, they they built in an out for themselves. They also, you know, rewarded their franchise player for being everything they could have hoped for on the field, off the field, in the community, um, and everything else. It just this has been one of the best days in Buffalo in this community. And it's funny that we're celebrating a guy making 250 plus million dollars and, and we're gonna count this as like one of those days for us. But it's it's one of those days, Bruce. For a lot of players, when they get the bag, when they get a market setting or close to a market setting contract, there is always a small section, a small subsection of the consumer who thinks to themselves, okay, but yeah, but what, but who, but how, but details. The reaction has been overwhelming in favor of Josh Allen, which speaks to the kind of year that Josh Allen had last year. The worst case scenario you're going to get from a consumer of this team is, yeah, I would have waited another year, but okay. Mm -hmm. That's literally as bad as it gets. There is no, well, I don't really think this is a good idea. And the reason that is, is he was so overwhelmingly good last year. He was so overwhelmingly good. He got MVP votes. He was, in my opinion, better than Patrick Mahomes last year. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't go absolutely out of his mind, the NFL MVP plays football in Orchard Park, New York. That's where we're at now as a team. We're at the spot where he was so overwhelmingly good that the worst response you're going to get from this deal is, I mean, I would have waited another year, but okay. And that's where I am. I went on record earlier this offseason and a couple times that, yeah, sure, I'd wait another year. I'm not going to throw a fit if they do it. But yeah, sure, I'd wait another year because we got one year of elite level play from Josh Allen, but he was so overwhelmingly good. Not all elite years are identical. Mm -hmm. Josh Allen wasn't just elite last year. He was MVP caliber. And the only thing that stopped him from being able to do that was Aaron Rodgers went absolutely out of his mind. And and may I add, Bruce, out of his mind and had a two and a half game stretch where he didn't throw a touchdown pass. So the consistency, this line, this this Mason-Dixon line that exists between elite and average, you know, Josh Allen was sort of the a flux curve throughout that, right? And I think if we can find a place where he is above average and it's a flat line, this is going to be a player that plays towards his ceiling enough times per year to make him in that MVP conversation every year. But can he reduce those valleys, those low points that we saw in a couple of games last year? Because that those are the improvements we're going to see from Josh Allen. And those are the things that are going to warrant him getting a $258 million contract. You are watching us live on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network. If you've not done so already, please like, subscribe. Make sure you turn on notifications. You do not want to miss any of the future episodes of Food for Thought that are coming. Although, I got to be honest, Nate recently informed me that next week he's got important things to do. Week two, he can't even get through one episode with Bruce before he's like, nah, homie, I'm so out. So listen, not only that, but I, I, you know, I'm the postgame show host for the preseason, and I will not be uh, hosting the very first Bills post uh, preseason postgame show of the season. So wedding stuff. Listen, I actually ditched out, hopefully – my friends that uh, whom's whom's 
wedding I am actually ditching out on. There was five straight weekends in the month of August going into September that I had weddings. Uh, so I had to ditch two because who the hell wants to go to five straight weddings? Nobody. The wedding crashers? Yeah, well, other than them, I, I that is not me. I'm an hors d'oeuvre guy. Speaking of, you know, food for thought, I like hors d'oeuvres. I like things that are greasy with a little bit of meat, a little bit of uh, pastry. And once I have that for two weekends in a row, I don't need more. No excuses, Nate. Play like a champion. I don't know what rule that is, but no excuses. Play like a champion. Hafa vida, hafa vida. Yeah. <laughs> Fighting Irish right there. Fighting Irish, right baby. Play like a champion. So the Josh Allen contract is interesting because I think all offseason, the question was, okay, number one, is it going to get done this year? Is it going to get done next year? Everyone assumed it was going to get done at some point. But it was stylistically, what is it going to look like? Because we've had some recent contract extensions for quarterbacks, and some of them looked mm -hmm. like one type of contract, and some of them looked like a different type of contract. So the Deshaun Watson deal and the Dak Prescott deal are very, very similar in structure. The Patrick Mahomes deal, on the other hand, was kind of this weird outlier where there was a long contract with rolling roster bonuses that got guaranteed the, the year before they happened. And it was all like, okay, what type of deal are we going to see from the Josh Allen contract? And the answer is it's kind of a mini Patrick Mahomes deal. It's a hybrid. Yeah. There's, there's this weird scenario where they took some of the benefits of the Mahomes deal, which is number one, the longer contract. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's first just talk about length. So with the Dak Prescott deal, you tagged him, you paid him 30 plus million guaranteed, and then you sign him to a four-year deal. With Josh Allen's deal, they've got his fourth year, his fifth year option, and then six. Yeah, it's so an eight-year deal. Yeah. It's an eight-year deal. And I think one of the things that we need to do better at as a society when it comes to gauging contracts is we have a tendency to get a little bit caught up in average annual value. Yep. We just take the years of the contract and the total money and go, bam, there he is. The highest paid player in NFL history is $45 million per year. Josh Allen's $43 million per year. If you really want to say how much money they actually got, take fully guaranteed money at signing and divide it into the number of years you have team control. And when you do things like that, all of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes' deal looks really good. Yeah. Josh Allen's deal looks, looks a little bit less good. good yeah. And Dak but Prescott's deal looks a lot less good. I would much rather, if you think about, you know, your left hand and your right hand, you spread them out as far as you can, and one hand is Dak Prescott's deal, and the other hand is Patrick Mahomes' deal. This is a lot closer to being a Mahomes deal, which is a lot closer to being a team-friendly deal than the Dak deal. The longer it goes, the worse the Dak deal looks to me. And in that same breath, Bruce, the longer the negotiation went for Dallas and Prescott, the worse and worse it got for the team. That is why when I look at the negotiation, when I look at the timeline, getting him signed into the contract before this season started likely saved the bills upwards of 15 to $20 million on a total, you know, not, not per year, but total on this contract. And you add in the years and, and I like, I like sort of where you're going with this. It's far more closer to that Mahomes deal. It's not the 10 year Mahomes deal, but it's basically an eight-year deal. So you have the ability. And again, I kind of want to, I know that nobody wants to talk about the fact that the Bills made themselves an out in this contract. But listen, Philadelphia paid Carson Wentz and Los Angeles paid Jared Graff after two really good seasons. 
say what you will. Josh Allen had an MVP caliber season, a pretty okay season, and a rookie season, right? Like, and that's sort of his timeline. And you are paying Josh Allen, and he said this in his press conference today, you're paying Josh Allen for what he's going to do, not what he did. And I believe that both Philadelphia and Los Angeles made the mistake of paying their quarterbacks for what they did rather than what they were going to do. And that is why both of those quarterbacks are no longer on the roster. There was no outs built into those contracts. Now you have Philadelphia eating 50 plus million of dead cap space. You've got, um, you know, you've got Los Angeles who was still able to figure out a way to get Matt Stafford, but is still eating tons of dead cap money in a, in a Super Bowl window. So, you know, I think for me, the bills played this, everything right in this contract for giving themselves an out building in a quote-unquote hometown discount which isn't a real thing by the way but when you look at this contract it is very team friendly from a flexibility perspective and overall the optics of this contract are you you rewarded your young quarterback your franchise quarterback with a a a, a damn near record-setting contract but one that gives you the flexibility to move money around when you need to to maintain a healthy competitive roster for the lifeline and the and the longlyhood of this contract these just there really is nothing to hate there's nothing not to like about this contract um from a a year's perspective from a total money perspective from a guaranteed money perspective they hit a lot of marks on this contract and you have to give a lot of this to Brandon Bean, who once again proves he's a guy that understands the salary cap. He understands the pulse of his team. Seeing everybody, all these players and former players react the way that they did, everybody understands that has played with or played for Josh Allen knows that this guy has earned this contract. And it says a lot to me when former players are going on Twitter to congratulate Josh Allen for that. You don't see that a lot. So I, I think that this today has checked a lot of boxes for me as a overall competency level and litmus test for this franchise because they've never had to pay a franchise level quarterback this type of money before and when you whenever you're working with hundreds of millions of dollars there's so many layers there's so much nuance and i just it's hard for me to poke any holes into this uh into this contract extension bravo brava brandon bean brava the last time the Buffalo Bills gave a quarterback a second contract since he came to the team was Ryan Fitzpatrick with 60 or 60 million. And at the time, the reaction to that deal was, hey, you know what? He stabilized it. Would you rather pay him that money or Kevin Cobb? That was the money because it was a Kevin Cobb level contract. And so the conversation was, well, I'd rather have Fitzpatrick at six years, 60 million, 10 million per versus Kevin Cobb at that money. Now we're saying, well, would you rather have Josh Allen or Dak Prescott that contract? The conversations are different because the level of skill is different. The level of talent is different. The level of accomplishment is different. And let's just have a quick chat about Brandon Bean specifically beating other teams to the punch yet again when mm -hmm. they have players at similar positions that they want to make sure that they lock up. When you have a scenario like this and you have... Deion Dawkins, who needs to get paid. And you have Tredavious White, who needs to get paid, but a boatload of other corners. And you see all these tackles start to sign. And Laramie Tunsil was the outlier. And all of a sudden, he's not the outlier anymore because David Bakhtiari got paid. And all these other tackles got paid. And you look back and you go, wow, that, that deal was really good for Deion Dawkins. And Tredavious White was the highest paid corner in football for eight seconds before he got <laughs> jumped. 
And Jalen Ramsey signed his, his, his contract a few days later. We're all like, wow, that's good. Right now, there are organizational decisions that are being made in Cleveland and Baltimore specifically to deal with the fact that the Bills beat him to the punch. That's something we need to talk to. There is an economics of football that we need to talk about. And part of it is things like this. Part of it's competing to set market first. Always set the market when it comes to things like this. And there's a benefit to that because now you have Lamar Jackson's camp going, well, I have an MVP. He doesn't have an MVP. Hey, you know, I know we were chatting at 41, but the number's 47 now. The number's 44 now. Baker Mayfield's like, well, you weren't offering me nearly enough. You know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to play this year out. And then if he does really well, now all of a sudden the number's 46. So I think there is a benefit to making sure that you get in front of the teams that might be negatively impacted by you beating them to the punch. And Brandon Bean is the third time he's done it. The thing that's shocking to me really about it is the times when he didn't do it. Yeah. I specifically looking about the Milano contract, the times when he didn't beat someone to the punch, he still ended up getting good value. The Milano contract is a great example. Shaq Thompson signed before, and we all thought that was the new baseline for Matt Milano. We thought 13, 13 and a half was the absolute baseline for Matt Milano because of what Shaq Thompson signed for. And then all of a sudden that's not the case anymore. So it doesn't seem to make any real sense to me, but when he beats other teams to the punch, he ends up getting a good deal in retrospect. When he doesn't beat other teams to the punch, he's still getting a good deal. Yeah. So I, I, you know, there's, there's an argument to be made that the contracts that he's given out are been overwhelmingly positive to players he's resigned. Some of the worst deals that Brandon Bede has made have been free agent acquisitions that didn't necessarily go the, the way he wanted them to go, right? Trent Murphy, Starla Tule was a little bit of an albatross contract. You have players like this, but when you have people in the building who he knows and he resigns to second contracts, he's batting darn well close to a thousand. Yeah. And listen, we build in for baseball. We're talking baseball references. Hall of Famers are batting 350, 400, 300, you know, and Brandon Bean's out here setting records. Yeah, I, Bruce, it's such a great point because the things that you admire about people in front office roles are can you draft and can you retain those draft picks? And so far, I agree with you. Every general manager, even the best of the best, will whiff in free agency. That's why you don't build your rosters through free agency. It's almost impossible to do. It's impossible to find a ton of great deals in a given offseason. You're going to overpay. It's overpay season. And this team has done a good job filling the cracks of this roster with free agents. They don't tend to necessarily overpay on the top dollar players. I agree the Starla Tulele uh, signing is kind of looked at or, or looked upon as the miss. I'm fine with that. But I think all in all, Bruce, the, the, the common consensus about this move and his most recent moves, this is going to look a lot like the Trey White contract in two or three years. How we're looking at it right now is exactly how we'll look at, at Josh Allen's contract in two or three years. And in a world of Xavier Howards, get yourself a Trey White. In a world of Dak Prescott's, get yourself a Josh Allen contract. So I think for us, you keep looking at these quote-unquote mistakes or these large contracts that don't really – give the team the flexibility necessary to stay competitive. Brandon Bean has checked the box on some of the most important positions today in football, left tackle, cornerback, quarterback. And as you look at all of them, 
all of them look like they are team friendly, solid deals for this franchise. And it's not like they're 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 a cheap franchise. They're spending money, but they're spending it the right way. Well, in that note, we have a special guest, ladies and gentlemen. We have someone here with us that again, it was all part of my master plan. I, I would love to be able to tell you that I planned all of this to happen exactly as it was supposed to. Mr. Joe Buscalia is here with us from the athletic. Mr. Buscalia, how you doing, man? Oh, you don't have to call me Mr. Biscalia. Joe is just fine. I'm great, guys. Good to be here. And excellent planning on your part to do this first show on the day of the biggest contract in franchise history. Feels like it was just meant to be in a lot of different <laughs> ways. The Josh Allen to Buffalo thing feels like it's meant to be. The Joe Biscalia on the show right when it happens seems like it's meant to be. Joe, let me ask you right off the bat. So as you're looking at this contract and you're you're diving into it and you're saying, okay, we have two camps. We have the Deshaun Watson and Dak Prescott style of contract. We have the Patrick Mahomes style contract. Did you think going in that that was going to be a significant outlier, that the Mahomes rolling roster bonus guarantee stuff, did you think that was going to be like an outlier and that was going to continue to be sort of the unicorn contract? Or did you think that was going to be something that was going to be copied? Because initially I thought it was going to be something that was going to be copied. And then the Prescott contract came out, and I was like, well, that, that's not even close to the Mahomes contract. That's Structurally, it's very different. So then I didn't know what to think. As you were thinking about this, where did you think it was going to fall? Yeah, I thought they were going to use the Mahomes contract as a bit of a template, if I'm honest. Maybe not to the same degree, because if you look at the Mahomes deal, his first two years after he signed the extension, the first one was like five or six million cap hit. The second one was like seven or eight million cap hit. And then it balloons to, I don't know, 40 something in the third year. So I, I think that was part of something that that uh, I thought maybe they would do. I also know just in listening to what Josh Allen is all about, getting to, to hear from him over the years, is that he is very team first no matter what. And it does not surprise me at all that he put together a deal and that it was important to him to put together a deal where it takes care of him, yes, but also that the bills are taken care of to the point in which that they can maneuver around based on the year-to-year -year structure. So what what really stood out to me from this contract, I mean, they they were able to tap into the some of the cap room that they had this year. They they upped the cap hit by about three-ish million dollars, I think 3.3. Uh, but next year they reduced it by almost $7 million. So that allows them to potentially keep a player, which, uh, which they otherwise would have cut because right now they're right or before the Josh Allen deal, they were right on the 2022 cap. If it were to be 208 million, which by the way, Brandon Bean is not convinced it's going to get there. But I think what it really stands out. And this is, I, I just posted a column over at the athletic about the structure of the deal and why it was so important to do this right now is because they can tap into these first two years. So that way, when they get to 2023, when there is the new TV deals, the gambling partnerships, and all of this huge influx of money, that the bills are in a position to where they do not have this ginormous cap hit um, staring them in the face. And so now it's going to be, sure, 30, I think $38 million is the cap hit, maybe 39 for that third year. But that's still going to leave them with just around $66 million uh, in cap room, according to Over the Cap. And that's even if the cap doesn't get higher than that. People are expecting a spike in 2023. So they are setting themselves up very well. It's the reason why I thought it was so important 
to do it this summer because a you beat the market like you guys were talking about just before i got on with baker mayfield lamar jackson but more importantly you beat the market to where there was even any rumors of what the 2023 salary cap would be with those huge variables coming into play so that's why i thought it was just so vital for them to get this thing done and, and they did it joe b I keep thinking about the Brandon Bean angle to this whole thing and sort of the reputation that he's he himself is able to build for himself as a negotiator, as a understanding, I, I guess as a cap guru of sorts, right? And and I and I I guess for me, my question to you is, does this contract, the way that it's built, continue on that path of this is a guy who not only understands the cap, but is finding ways for players? Listen, I mean, we were talking about this too right before you came on. The Matt Milano contract and the Deion Dawkins contract stand out to me because these are players that didn't, and maybe more so Milano, Joe, that didn't even attempt to test the market. I'm not naive. I believe Matt Milano goes to the market and he's looking at 10, 12, $13 million on average. And for him to come back at the number that he did was sort of a big check mark for Brandon Bean. So if that's the check mark for Brandon Bean, Matt Milano, where does this fall sort of in the quote-unquote, you know, Brandon Bean brilliance discussion? Yeah, I think the Milano deal was slightly different because that was also culture-induced more than anything because he knew that they were on the precipice of doing something special, and so he wanted to be back. And I also think that the, the Bills kind of set themselves up to kind of tell Milano, like, okay, if you, you do this, you're probably going to be here for the duration, which is which is uh, pretty ideal for him to see out the, the end of that deal. But I think with this deal in particular, I mean, obviously you're going to have to pay play. That's, that's just how it is with franchise quarterbacks. But to do so in a way where you are giving yourself some flexibility, and I thought the, the option bonus part of it one year after the signing bonus was a brilliant part of it, honestly, because that allows you to not tap into uh, this year's cap room so that way you can roll it over to the next year a little bit. And so that way now you're, you're looking at a potential of 14-ish million dollars in cap space next year if the cap's at $208 million. And then just continuing it along to where uh, by the time you get to 2025, you still have that 8.4 million prorated option bonus uh, at that point uh, and the $25 million roster bonus and the $14 million salary. But once you get there, that's the final year of the proration. So that way you can you can move some money around. You can con convert things into a signing bonus. You can create space for yourself. And that is the year where they're hitting a, a $51 million cap hit. So, And by that point, you would tend to think that the uh, salary cap is in a pretty healthy spot. So a, a lot of this just lends itself to say, all right, the Bills have a good understanding of where they think the league is going to go. Now, it actually has to happen because, you know, things could happen. The pandemic happened. We did not anticipate this. This all uh, getting to a point where it was like $180 million, uh, of a cap uh, last year. But now we're getting now we're getting to a point where it's it, it they feel like they're starting to get closer back to where it should be. And that spike, I keep I said it before. I'm going to say it again. People around the league are really just they are just full bore about this 2023 spike at first they thought it was going to be 2022 but now with the gambling partnerships and and the television revenue and the new tv deals people are thinking the cap is going to spike in a big way and if the bills are only have such a cap for josh allen that puts them in a really good spot to retool especially if they have to 
kind of cut some people in 2022. Uh, this is not, by the way, this isn't an old joke on you. You're not that much older than me, but <clears throat> you definitely are older than me, Joe. Um, it's weird to say this because this is a franchise that went to four straight Super Bowls. With the salary cap set up the way that it is, we know that teams that are at that elite level with a quarterback still on his rookie deal tend to be in the best position to have the best supporting cast around their quarterback. Is the next two seasons maybe the best opportunities for the Bills to win a Super Bowl ever? Is it close? I mean, I, again, this, this is recognizing they've been to four Super Bowls. But I, I look at this team and the yeah. position that they're set themselves up for. This appears to be the best opportunity over the next two years to win a Super Bowl, maybe in the lifespan of this uh, this franchise. Well, I can't speak to the, the 90s Bills because I was three, four, five, and six years old when that happened. Uh, so I don't really know what that was like at the time. But I will say they have damn good shot at at uh, competing for it this year and they have what they think to be a pretty complete roster they think they're going to get better defensively they think they're going to continue it along with uh, with the offensive side of things they have continuity in the coaching staff which is slightly unheard of for a team that went to the afc championship game where they don't have any sort of dings whether it's a quarterback's coach or you know an offensive line coach or something everybody is back for, for this year. And so they, they have that working for them with the, the key piece being Brian Dable, uh, really understanding how Josh Allen does things, how he likes to do things and really, uh, you know, calling plays in a way that are creative enough, but still he plays the hits all the same. Um, I think this is a year where they should compete for it. Anything. I mean, I ran a fan survey right before, um, right before the month of July and it was, really interesting to see like close to 70 percent said uh, at least make it to the super bowl if not win the super bowl it's like wow i've never seen expectations as high like i always make the joke su the the term super bowl used to be like the word voldemort here in buffalo like people just <laughs> didn't want to say it because the fear of the name brings the fear of itself and because no one thought they were ever close but this is this is the year where people think they can do but I don't know about next year because they're probably going to have to make some difficult decisions, whether it be yeah. Mitch Morse, Cole Beasley, some others. You know, Tremaine Edmonds has a really big cap hit next year. They have to decide whether or not they want to extend him long term. But I think this year is the one where it all kind of comes together. And they still have, you know, around $7 million in cap space that they could use if they wanted to. But uh, but yeah, they, they feel like this roster is is pretty close. Thank God you you blessed us with at least one Harry Potter reference uh, during this you. podcast. That brava, my friend. It just Bruce, wouldn't have been got? the same. It wouldn't have been the same if he hadn't done it. I asked him a very important question during the regular season. I said, this, I, I need to know, is Josh Allen a, a Hufflepuff? Is <laughs> is he a Gryffindor? What is he? And, you know, I, I can always count on Joe to provide all of the necessary Harry Potter references. But that being said, I, I think one of the things that you, you kind of do in the aftermath of this is you look around and go, okay, what's next? Mm. We eliminated a lot of future narratives. A lot of future narratives were cut off by this extension. This, the Dak Prescott narrative that seemed to hang over the Cowboys for years. And the Ezekiel Elliott is actually in Cabo narrative that hung over the Cowboys and all the things that go along with protracted contract negotiations. This was basically a couple months of, Hey, you think they're going to do it? 
And then they go, yeah, I think it's going to get done. And then that's it. It's done. I mean, it's just it's knit. There's no drama. There's no discussion. There's no narratives. So there's almost this content vacuum that goes, okay, now what? So what is next for Brandon Bean? On the, on the contractual list, when you look at you go, is it as obvious as just say, listen, we need to get Stefan Diggs taken care of. Is it that obvious or is there other things? Is it Tremaine Edmonds first? Or are we going to play out the string a little bit with Tremaine Edmonds? I know he's got a big cap hit next year. Do you play out this year and then try and do a deal before? That? Like, wh What's next on the list for Brandon Bean? I think, I think for right now it's chill <laughs> because I don't know that they, they need to do anything at this moment. Uh, I think next offseason, as soon as the season gets done, maybe mid-season where you can kind of push it towards 2022, maybe the Diggs thing comes into play, especially if he's having another year the way that he is, because he, eventually he's going to want to get paid. The admins thing, I think they're cool to let sit right now. Uh, just see what you have. See if the first half of last year was the fluke and the second half of last year and the really the the year before that what is what you're actually going to get because Edmonds was infinitely better in the second half of, of last season than he was in the first half. Um, so I, I think they need they need to see that proven in front of their eyes. Really, I think what's next for them is to prove that some of these draft picks will actually hit. Like we, mm. we're looking at Dawson Knox. We're looking at Devin Singletary. Uh, we're looking at Cody Ford. Those are three huge names that are premium picks in the words of Brandon Bean, a second and third round guys that need to prove something this year. They're in their third season. I mean, Harrison Phillips, who's in his fourth year, is even going to make the team. Um, there, there are a lot of, for all the good things that he has done, and that being Josh Allen, first and foremost, training for Stefan Diggs, you know, finding a hit, in my opinion, and at, at Oliver, even though I know it's it's a little bit controversial, but I think he's a lot better than he gets credit for. Tremaine Edmonds, same thing. I think, I think he's a good, not great linebacker, but still a hit nonetheless. Um, but these... Second and third round guys, these are really where you have to uh, just crush it um, moving forward because, you know, while the first round guys are great because they they bring the flash, the second and third round guys are really the substance. Um, we saw Matt Lano, but that's not a Brandon Bean pick mm -hmm. uh, and, and as a fifth round pick. I mean, these these are the questions that he's going to have to answer. And I don't know if the, the third year guys are going to bring it this year. I, I, I really don't. I mean, I, I have major questions about whether or not Dawson Knox is actually going to improve upon what he is or if he is just what he is right now. Devin Singletary, I, I kind of wonder how long of a, a leash that, that he might have if, if he doesn't start to produce. And, you know, there's also the, the standpoint of body composition. I was talking to somebody about this, and, and I won't break up their name, but they, they brought up the point of when you change your body that much, especially him being a bigger guy, it might make you more susceptible to injury when once you start picking up hits like that. So he's he's definitely slimmed down everything like that, but we don't know if he's going to be the same guy if he has any more explosiveness. And then Cody Ford, is he going to be a starter? That's 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 a pretty basic thing for a guy entering his third year. So those are those are what's what's next, I think, to to prove that his draft picks are going to be a hit for him. Yeah, and I think Joe, you have to sort of put aside how the Patriots built their dynasty over the better part of twenty years. They had the goat at quarterback, so. Bill Belichick had the leash to make a bunch of bad draft picks, right? And I mean, you start to look at this team moving forward and Brandon Bean said it in his press conference today. He said it, it's sort of the, the, essentially the light now gets shined on Brandon Bean to start hitting on drafts moving forward, because this isn't going to be a team that's going to be able to pay top dollar for the best free agents that hit the market. They're going to be have to use in a lot of cases, 
compensatory picks from players they they draft and lose or or veterans that they pick up on one or two year deals and then lose so when you consider that on how this team has been building the transition from how Brandon Beat ha- Brandon Bean has built the foundation to how he builds the rest of the home I think I'm most interested in and and I'm I'm sort of interested in your thoughts on whether or not you believe that transition is as dramatic as maybe I'm making it out or a lot of people around the NFL make it out from building a foundation and then maintaining that foundation. Yeah, I, I don't think you're, you're making it to be too dramatic because they are two completely different uh, fundamentals from a roster building standpoint. I mean, you think you think to what he has done and what has gotten him success and what has gotten them to victories now, you can't, you can't do that. You have to hit on your draft picks and then you have to organically refill throughout the draft. And then as you pointed out, watch them as, as they go elsewhere, if they're not a core building block of your team. And that's, that's not a bad thing. It's just kind of a part of life when you're paying sometimes $40 million uh, of a cap hit to your franchise quarterback, you won't be able to keep everyone. Brandon Bean says it all the time. He's going to have to live it coming up here pretty soon in the next uh, few years. But I, I think, more than anything, which which you hit on, I have been yelling for years about compensatory formula. <laughs> Anyone that has, <laughs> that has followed me over the years, I have been a comp guy through and through. Brandon Bean knows I ask about it every single year, <laughs> um, and I think I think this might be the year where we finally start to see him get closer to it because they're so tight to the cap already in 2022. Maybe I thought they would have done it more uh, more this past. Year, but they resigned a lot of their guys, and I think they would have been in, in the mix had Milano and Williams decided to sign elsewhere. But um, but that being said, that has to be kind of the way things go because if you are if you are building your roster in that way and you're building it up and trying to build through the draft and keep your roster afloat in that way, you want as many swings at it as you can have whether it be another third round pick another fourth round pick fifth round pick what have you i mean just just get as many as you can uh don't be afraid to move down in the draft which brandon bean hasn't uh, always been a huge fan of i think that's that's a a pivotal point to maybe switch things up now that you don't need a franchise as quarterback Uh, but we all know that brandon bean tends to be a little bit on the aggressive side with the draft every single year i think this is the year that we trade down this is the year that we get some compensatory picks, and this is the year that Brandon Bean decides to draft a corner high so I don't cry anymore. And then every single year, that ends up not being the case. So I keep telling myself that it's not going to happen. I'm not going to get sucked in. But next year, mark my words, Nate and Joe, I will get sucked in again. I will be doing comp pick bingo with Joe Biscalia. I will be talking about trading down, and I will be like, nope, this is the year we get some cheap labor across from... Trey White on a rookie deal, drafted high. It's going to be great. So last question, Joe, before we let you go, and I appreciate you taking the time out of your Friday evening to be with us here. If you're Lamar Jackson's representation or if you're Baker Mayfield's representation right now, how are you responding to this? Are you you happy? Are you thinking, okay, I was kind of hoping he was going to reset the market? Are you hoping that it was going to be more of a Dak Prescott contract? What If you're the representatives for either one of those players, how are you approaching the teams moving forward? Well, I mean, the Dak Prescott contract was so good for the player that I'm sure they were hoping that it was more like that. But uh, I think I think for them, 
they're probably looking at this going, okay, look, look at their agents go top it. I mean, it's, it's pretty much that, that simple in today's landscape. And I almost wonder if it would be more beneficial to them to just wait it out and, and see if there's some hint of what 2023 could look like. I know I'm a broken record here, but it is, it is a, it, it could be a pretty substantial kick up like 20 million, 20 plus million a year in cap cap space from 2022 to 2023, which is a lot. That's a lot of players. That's a lot of money floating around. Multiply 20 million by 32 teams, and that's how much more cap room could be in existence. So if 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 I'm Lamar or Baker and you know you feel confident in what you're gonna do this coming year, I mean I know they've got the fifth year option coming up. You know, just just see see what happens this season, uh, especially if you're that confident, and then go from there. So uh, I that's why it was so important for the Bills to get this done from a team perspective. Uh, you know, I don't know if I would have done it if I was Josh Allen, but uh, you know, he did it. Want to get get things done, get it over with, and uh, you know, more power to both sides for getting it done. Nate, you're muted, dude. You're muted. There you go. You're back. <laughs> what a rookie. What a rookie. See, this, you can tell us this, this is our first podcast together. Um, that Zoom 101 right there. Yeah. Well, what I was actually – I was trying to say something nice, and he, that's, that's what I get. That, 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 that's, that's destiny right there. Um, but what I wanted to say was uh, Bruce and I both appreciate you spending time on your Friday evening joining us for our very first podcast. We wouldn't have wanted to do it with anybody else. And, and for myself, for those that don't know – there is no me without Joe B. And I just didn't realize that was going to rhyme, but I'm very happy that it did because it brought it together better. Um, <laughs> you are as classy as it gets, my friend. Um, I'm happy that I uh, that I can call you a friend. And I again, I thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Uh, you Your presence has elevated us, and uh, I hope we can do it again soon, man. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys for having me. Have a great show. I'm honored to be a part of the very first one. And yeah, you, you know where to find me. I'll be I'll be on whenever you need me. Awesome. Joe B on the very first inaugural episode of Food for Thought. We can't uh, be happy enough. I know I'm not. Uh, I, I, I can't thank Joe enough for joining us here on what I believe is going to be maybe the best podcast uh, in, in Buffalo. Right, Bruce? I mean, at this point, you and I can really, we, we can say that at least moving forward, this will be the best podcast you could potentially listen to in the Buffalo market, short of Joe B's podcast, the the Bills Beat with uh, with Matthew Fairburn, who we will absolutely have on this podcast sometime in the near future. But um, what an honor to have Joe B on, huh? That was fun. I've been a, a huge fan of Joe B for a really long time. Um, Joe Biscaya was the first podcast. Joe and Matt Fairburn were the first podcast I ever listened to in the Buffalo community. Um, when I was initially thinking about getting into podcasting and I was having a discussion with my, at the time, co-host, we said, okay, which one of us is Joe and which one of us is going to be Fairburn? <laughs> and I said, well, neither one of us is Joe and neither one of us is Fairburn. Um, but we had the, the archetypes built essentially based on what we saw them portray. Yeah. And so I, I have I'll always be, I'll never forget the first time I sent a question in to Joe Buscalia and Matthew Fairburn, and they read my question on their podcast. I let my, my wife listen. I was like, I got name dropped I made it. on this podcast. I made they it. said my name. Now, it was, it was my pseudonym. It wasn't my actual name, but they said my name on this podcast, and I was absolutely beside myself. I rewound it just to make sure I wasn't losing my marbles. But 
It was a great, it was an incredible honor to have Joe be on. He's he, he's such a such a great sport. I can always count on him for a for good Harry Potter references. Which is yes, at least one. And, and since we're since we're in Joe B story time, let me quickly tell my Joe B story. And and I mentioned you know there is no me without Joe B, um, which might have to go in my bio now because that that's just sounds got such a great ring to it. So clever. Um, so college, uh, a fairly lost uh, post football version of myself. I medically retired um, after you know, a bunch of head injuries that I got in, in both high school and then into college and broke my ankle and so on and so forth. And I'm sitting in a writing for the media class at 8 a.m. on a Friday morning, like literally the worst possible time to be in a writing for the media class. Alan Pergament, Buffalo News, great guy, Alan Pergament. Joe B comes in the class, talks to us, and this is right at the time where he's kind of transitioning from uh, WGR into TV, right, with Channel 7. And, and Joe B's talking to us in the classroom and literally – gave us his cell phone number. The entire class, by the way, that class featured Derek Kramer. Uh, it, it featured Brayton Wilson. Like a lot of us local, you know, WGR guys were all in this class. And I was probably the only one to take up Joe on his phone call, you know, like offer. I texted him and I said, Joe, like I'm aspiring. I want to be in this industry. Joe and I met for coffee. Joe basically got me my internship at WGR, made it happen. Um, I, my very first uh, day at the internship, I, uh, I no showed because I was deathly ill. And I thought, great, I just squandered the only radio opportunity, the only opportunity to get into the industry. Uh, but Matthew Collar, another guy who is sort of the, the, the guy that brought me along in this situation. Um, I, I, I seriously can't the, the, the debt that I owe Joe B and he will never, ever, ever come back to call me on it. But I, I owe Joe a lot, uh, uh for my career and, you know, where I'm going. And uh, I, I, I really don't know a better person to uh, to be on the very first episode of Food for Thought. Given the fact that he is part of both of our origin stories, mm. it does feel absolutely, you know, poetic that he ended up being right. on the origin of Food for Thought. Now, in Food for Thought, we've breaking this, we're breaking this down into multiple sections. You know, we had your appetizer, which That's is right. the Josh Allen discussion. We had your main course, which was the interview with Joe Biscaglia from The Athletic. Now, as any good meal does, we've got well, dessert. So you in the comments, if you've got questions, now's the time. But while you're doing that, while you're pumping questions into the comment section, I got an email, Nate, that I absolutely want to talk about because this is one of my favorite things to talk about. I love these absolutely bonkers thought exercises. And I simply got an email that said, which NFL quarterback would you least like to fight? Here we because go. We were talking about Josh Allen, and we said, okay, you know, Josh Allen's a big guy, big, athletic, strong. And you said, okay, of all the quarterbacks you would least like to fight, hmm. which quarterback would it be? Now, my mind, I will tell you, immediately went to the quarterback I would most like to fight. <laughs> and that's Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> ben yes. Roethlisberger and me, I'm like, okay, you know what? I think maybe. You know, he's a big guy, no question, but, you know, he's constantly limping and he's always got, you know, the the, the uh, ice pack strapped, the shoulders and the knees yeah. and everything like that. I'm thinking to myself, goodness gracious, I think, you know what, you get enough beers in me. If I have enough of the ruby red Kolsch, I think there's a chance that you could talk me into fighting Ben Roethlisberger. And you might immediately go to Kyler Murray because of the height thing. Absolutely not. No, Kyler Murray will bite your ankles off. That is what was going to happen. Do not do it. Do not absolutely do it. Nate, 
of the quarterbacks in the NFL that you would least like to fight, who comes to mind? So the the one that comes to mind actually just retired. Like I would not want to fight Philip Rivers. The guy's got 15 kids. Like you <laughs> never want to fight a guy who can sire 15 children. Okay. That means there's a lot of testosterone up in there. Um, but if we have to say current day NFL quarterbacks least like to fight, I've got to say probably Matthew Stafford. I mean, that guy has taken so many hits in his day. Like that reminds me of the kind of guy where you would land an absolute haymaker and he would do one of these things where it'd be like, you know, like (laughs) smile while he's wiping the blood. Like, (laughs) Um, so yeah, Matthew Stafford, I think, just because I think he would absorb every single punch that I'd have to throw. Not that these very manicured, uh, you know, non-manual labor hands really – much of a punch um but you know i'm more of a lover not a fighter um as are you bruce i assume um i would say matthew stafford would eat my punches no problem we got a good one from the comments jeff danger says nate peterman well he was gonna throw a punch at me but it got intercepted so i don't really have to worry <laughs> about that happening so richard rush in the comments said i'd fight daniel jones for sure yeah i'd fight daniel jones okay. as well i think daniel jones is a really good one for absolute sure i think carson wentz I think would be a good one if you want to put some money on I'd fighting. Sweep the leg. Absolutely, sweep, sweep the leg. One hundred percent. I'll tell you somebody I'm not interested in fighting one little bit. And I agree with you on Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford would be like, "You can't touch me. I played in Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> like, Come on, man. You haven't done anything that I haven't seen at some point. I'll tell you someone I do not want to fight is Jameis Winston. I have no interest in fighting Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston's crazy. He yeah. is absolutely crazy. He'll bite your ankles off. He'll bite your he'll bite your nose off. Jameis Winston's insane. I don't know if you've been catching up on any of the recent Jameis Winston uh, fun stuff from Saints camp, but it seems like every day there's some great story or video clip of Jameis Winston. I think the NFL needs Jameis Winston to win that starting quarterback job. I think it mm. needs it. For the soul of the NFL, we need Jameis Winston in a Sean Payton offense, and I really have no interest in wanting to fight Jameis Winston. And and obviously I think the other one, I think this goes without saying I would absolutely any day square up with Tua because I think Tua would just like try to like talk me out of it. You know, it'd be like, are you, this this is what you want to do, man. You don't want to swing at me. Come on. You know, like he's just that really nice Hawaiian um, that I just wouldn't really want to, to, you know, to ultimately, I wouldn't want to walk. I wouldn't want to hurt him. I wouldn't want to be the reason that he's in pain, but I'd still like, if, if I was going to fight someone, I'd say my best chances of winning in a fight would be against Tua. Josh Clark says he'd want to fight Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan. That's a great, that's an absolutely great one. Matt Ryan is already running like he's been in a fight. So that <laughs> makes sense that you would want to go with, with that. Absolutely. 100%. That's, that's, that's good. That's good. Make sure you're keeping your questions coming in the comment section. We'll make sure we hit them up. Nate, what was your takeaway from that interview with Joe? I think the big thing was how much he kept reflecting on the cap spike. And I made the argument, yeah, the 2023 cap spike. I think I made the argument before Josh Allen signed his contract that the biggest argument in favor of doing it now is the TV money. Mm Mm-hmm. That no, and I think that even if you are normally a, I would like to see more than one elite year from someone before I give them all the money, even if that's the way you're normally wired, I would listen to an argument that you need to depart from your normal behavior because of the TV deals. Like you need to adjust yeah. your normal behavior. My and big takeaway was that. 
the bet, the sports betting companies as well. And he sort of mentioned that a few times as well as, as a real revenue driver, which I don't know that we in our wildest expectations could put together a conservative thought about what type of revenue added revenue a legal sports betting will create for the salary cap and for overall revenue for the NFL. I think we're likely way undershooting what the revenue figures will be once sports betting in NFL stadiums becomes a serious thing. Uh, Bruce, I think that's something that could absolutely move this league into the multi-billion dollar type revenue league um, that I'm sure Roger Goodell has aspirations for. I, I, I think we're more than likely undershooting that number by several billion. Chris Janke in the comments says, Nate, you've been talking about the out mm. in this deal. Can you explain the out built into the Josh Allen extension? I haven't read the details yet. Please explain it to me like I'm five years old. Nate, when you say outs in the deal, what do you mean? Yeah, so it's essentially a two-year extension, Bruce, right? I mean, it's a two-year extension after his fifth-year option. Um, this is essentially the language in how the uh, dead cap money is worked is the dead cap hit is totally swallowable um, after the second year of his six year finger quotes extension. It's a very self, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but these aren't 35, 45, $50 million dead cap hits after that second year of the extension hit. So that's really kind of what I'm talking about. These built in uh, outs that they have in this contract there, of course, there's going to be ramifications if you have to get out of this contract after the 20, what is it, 2026 would be four years, 2025 season. Um, there will be dead cap ramifications. There always is, but they're far more you know, consumable than, say, the Carson Wentz, the Jared Goff contracts <clears> were <throat> over the last several years of contracts extensions when you look around our league at, at quarterbacks. I think one of the other things that we need to understand is that those dead cap hits also become easier to manage because of what Joe Biscay was talking about, which That's is right. the jump. Now, to put that in perspective, Jared Goff's dead cap hit to the LA Rams was $22.2 million, which at the time was a record. And then the Eagles said, hold my beer, hold and they up. traded Carson Wentz and absorbed a $33.8 million dead cap charge. So you have to understand that there are ramifications to getting out of these deals of course the question is just when can i the get degree. out for how much pain that's the question it's not a matter of is it going to cause pain it is it's always going to cause pain it's how much and when and those real deals andrew brant always talks about on twitter he always talks about how many years and let's see is it two years and let's see is it three years and let's see mm -hmm. at what point do you reach the part in the contract where you go okay we've satisfied our requirements now let's see and really the job of the player and the representation is to get as much as right. early as humanly possible so that when you get to that section because players know when you're a player and you have no guaranteed money left on your deal you know the agent knows okay i'm a cut candidate at this yep. point they know when that happens. And so for the players in the representation, it's a matter of being able to obtain as much guarantee as early as humanly possible. And then also as long as the team has control for as many years as they have control, I want to still be getting guaranteed money. I don't want there to be a big gap between the years where the team has control over me and the years where I'm getting guaranteed money. I don't want there to be a big gap there because that means I'm a lame duck for longer. I'm out of control for longer. Jason Taylor says, who gets the bigger contract, Lamar or Baker? Whoever signs second, probably, I'm going to say Lamar Jackson. 
And I'm going to say Lamar Jackson specifically because he's got an MVP award to him. What do you think, Nate? We said we would say fresh hot takes here, right? There, fresh this, hot this takes. Pod- Let's do it. We can't go throughout this entire podcast, the inaugural podcast, and not have a hot take. Well, that's what you're for. I, I'm not here. I'm here for the gold hard facts part. You're here so for the you, fresh hot takes. So do you want to hear what my hot take is? Absolutely. Okay. My hot take is Lamar Jackson. It will be Lamar Jackson that gets the bigger contract, but it won't be from the Baltimore Ravens. Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay. Okay. And and the reason I say this is there was a lot of speculation in Baltimore that there was this lack of goodwill on, on the half of the organization. This is no longer the Ozzie Newsome Baltimore Ravens. And it's very, very important to note that in these sort of uh, negotiations with this contract. And the reason that I believe Lamar Jackson will ultimately price himself out of Baltimore extends from the fact that I don't believe the franchise believes that they can win a Super Bowl the way that Lamar Jackson currently wins on the offensive side of the football. So for me, this is a big year for Greg Roman because they are banking this next contract on Greg Roman's ability to evolve the passing offense. If this passing offense with Rashad Bateman and Sammy Watkins and these weapons that they've put around him, finally, if this offense cannot evolve into a modern-day 2021 Buffalo Bills, Brian Dable-like passing offense with sprinkles of elite running potential and big play potential from their running backs and from Lamar Jackson himself, this is going to make it very, very difficult for that franchise to convince itself that they need to pay Lamar Jackson more than Patrick Mahomes, which is exactly the negotiation place that Lamar Jackson and his representations are going to ask for. They want more than Josh Allen. Josh Allen to have an MVP. Lamar Jackson does. And although he may not have the same level of playoff success, that is going to be the going rate for former MVP candidates. And I believe that Greg Roman is going to fail this year on to, uh, to sort of evolve that passing offense to a point that gives them the confidence that this is a $46, $47 million a year quarterback. And because of that, someone else is going to have the opportunity to pay Lamar Jackson that money. And I believe that that's my hot take for the night, but I believe that he will get paid. He may not get paid first, but it'll be bigger than Baker. I just don't believe it'll be in Baltimore. Now this is important. Do you think there's a chance it sets up a him or me situation with Greg Roman and Lamar Jackson? Because if Greg Roman doesn't evolve this passing offense, then that will be pretty much what we would expect from Greg Roman. Greg Roman is a great play designer and a great offense designer and is not a great offensive innovator. He is not a great offensive changer. He's just good at drawing it up. And so when you see what happened in San Francisco, you see what happened in Buffalo. Now you're seeing what happened in Baltimore. There's a pattern to Greg Roman. This is pretty much par for the course for Greg Roman. Do you think there's a chance it gets to the end and we go, listen, we think Lamar can do it if he wasn't shackled with Greg Roman. And then you make the offensive coordinator change, but you keep Lamar. The problem is, is is that change going to happen in week six or week five, like it did in Buffalo in 2016? Is that going to be the situation that plays out? Because if that's the situation that plays out, it's too late. You know what I'm saying? Like this is your opera. This is your window to sign Lamar Jackson and look who is still there. And I like Omega Outlier's point. Lamar's mom is his representation. If Baltimore gets cute and tries to use this as their advantage, Lamar is going to bail. Lamar is going to do 
what Lamar is going to do because I think Lamar is an underrated player for who he is. There's a lot of people in this, at least in, in, in fan bases across the league, that believe he isn't an elite level passer. I would push back hard on the fact that I believe Lamar Jackson has limitations in passing game in, in the passing game. There is no doubting that. He's still above average, borderline elite as a passer. It's his offensive scheme that has failed to highlight those sorts of elite level skills. And if you're waiting until week six, week seven, and this offense still hasn't picked up the way that that you know John Harbaugh and the executives in, in Baltimore have wanted it to do, week six is too late. You know, unless all of a sudden whoever you bring in takes notable whoever who steps in that role and this all of a sudden this offense turns to an offense that throws it 20 times a game and averages 212 yards passing a game to an offense that can average 270 280 290 a game through the air there it's going to be very difficult for this franchise to evaluate and make the right decision on the quarterback based on his ability to win in passing game which it's just the modern era of football you have to be able to win throwing the football the bills are a team that decided not only we're going to throw the football we're going to throw it in an elite level, and I don't care who's lining up in the backfield because we're not paying that position. We we value it at the the way that it should be valued in the league. And listen, Baltimore's not paying much for that running back position right now either. They got rid of the guy they were paying a whole bunch of money to in the backfield. So they're doing it right as well. I just don't think Lamar's signing this extension anytime this year. Lamar, it does not behoove. Lamar Jackson to sign a contract until next offseason because what he can do this year is prove to them that he's a 45, 46, 47 million dollar a year player. And if he's unable to prove that, other teams around the league will be willing to pay that. And that is the leverage that exists for Lamar Jackson and his mother, who is his representation. Before we get out of here, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a couple more comments from the section. But before we do that, don't forget to tip your servers. At the bottom right-hand corner of your comment section, if you are on YouTube, there is a button there. If you value what we do and you like to contribute to the Buffalo Rumblings YouTube channel, you can do that. We greatly appreciate it. And before we get out of here, we're going to take a couple more questions and comments from the comment section. Richard Rush says, over under, Watkins only plays six games. Okay, I'm going to take this one first. I'm going to go over on this. I'm going to go over on this. I think that there's a level of motivation to Sammy Watkins. I think that he was an underrated part of the Kansas City Chiefs. I do think that there's going to be health issues that always kind of creep into Sammy Watkins, but I do think it's going to be over six games. I also think that there's a necessity for him to play over six games because that was the big splash for the Baltimore passing offense. It was Rashad Bateman in the draft and Sammy Watkins. You know, there was discussions about other receivers and they just never materialized. And one of the issues that you're going to have in Baltimore is that you essentially have to draft them because no wide receiver is going to look at that and go, well, that's a passing offense. I want to be a part of, and that's going to be the, the issue with that passing offense until Greg Roman manages to construct a significant passing offense is how you get talent in that building who wants to be part of it. Because you're either going to have to pay them out the wazoo or they're going to have to have a lack of other options and want to be the number one guy, which Sammy Watkins can potentially be. Because Hollywood Brown, it's not like you know he's been a significant player for them. He's no. been fine. But everyone thought he was going to break out really significantly last year, and that just didn't happen. So what do you got, Nate? Over under six games for Sammy Watkins in Baltimore. 
I like where your head's at. I believe it'll be over as well. This is a highly motivated player in an offense that he believes if he can be one of the reasons that elevates it to the level that people say that it can't get to, that people will maybe start to change the narrative on Sammy Watkins. I totally believe that. Not that motivation um, can can stop you from rolling an ankle or tearing an ACL, but I think there's a level of Sammy Watkins game that at times has felt um, and, and I believe that probably people when he was in Buffalo probably felt this. There, there feels like sometimes that football is not the highest priority for Sammy Watkins. Um, I believe that he's in at the point of his career where he's matured. He's in a, in a proper situation for him to excel. I like his fit in that offense as the type of receiver that he is. He's a run-after-catch guy. He's get, he get the ball in his hands and let Sammy Watkins do his thing. Um, I, I, and I want to ask you a question, Bruce. In terms of the career arc for Sammy Watkins, how surprised are you? about where his career has gone considering the player that most people thought the bills were getting when they traded up to draft him i'm very surprised i knew that that was a great class but pretty much everybody involved had sammy watkins as the top option you know looking back it's easy to rewrite that narrative and say well we could have stayed put and got odell beckham you could have stayed put you could have gotten mike evans you could have gotten other people in that spot but a lot of people had sammy watkins as wide receiver one and when you traded up in a deep draft class to get your guy, the idea was that you, what you thought you were doing is you were thought you were getting Stefan Diggs for Josh Allen. That's what you thought you were doing. Yep. You were getting Sammy Watkins for EJ Manuel in the exact same way. We, there was discussions about this is how you build around a young quarterback. This is how you do it. You go out and get him. All the conversations that ended up being true about Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, the same conversation had back when it was EJ Manuel and Sammy Watkins, it just ended up not being true with Sammy Watkins. But the same conversation was being had was the, this is how you build around a young quarterback. You go get your guy. You go get him that weapon. If you believe in him, you trade up. How decisive Doug Whaley was. Now, in retrospect, we go, that was the deepest wide receiver class in recent memory. What's the deal? But at the time, Sammy Watkins was explosive. I still think that injuries were a significant part of mm -hmm. Sammy Watkins because we only got uh you know seven or eight game stretch at Buffalo of absolutely elite Sammy Watkins and it was elite it was elite with a yes, quarterback who didn't really throw to the intermediate parts of the field as often as he should and wasn't able to take advantage of a lot of what Sammy Watkins could bring you except on go routes and that was Tyrod Taylor mm -hmm. so I really feel like there was an opportunity there for Sammy Watkins I'm surprised that it's gone this way for Sammy Watkins but I think it's going to be a great 30 for 30 at some point. Yes. It'll be a great what if conversation. What if Sammy Watkins would have been healthy? I think that, that that's, it's really going to be something. We got another conversation starter here from the comment section, and it's about Dawson Knox. And it says, what are the chances Dawson Knox makes it as our long-term starting tight end? Before we get into this, we are going to wrap up after this question. So thank you all for being a part of this. Thank you for being part of our inaugural inaugural uh, voyage, our, our grand opening, Nate. Yes. If we're sticking with that theme, which we try and do, sticking with that theme, what are the chances Dawson Knox makes it as our long-term starting tight end? Nate, I am going to give you buckets to put this in, and you can put me one. Ready? Dawson Knox makes it as our starting long-term tight end. When I, I'm going to define this as signs a second contract with the bills. That's how I'm going to define it. Science, a second contract to be a starter. Okay. And I'm going to put it in these four buckets, highly probable, somewhat probable, somewhat improbable, or highly improbable. What you got, Nate? Somewhat improbable. Yeah. I, 
I like Dawson Knox. I like the idea of what he brings. I think his best role is that Delaney Walker in San Francisco role, a player that is a tight end to a, you design five, six, seven plays a game exactly for him to get open, but he is not your primary tight end number one. And, and, and that's what I believe his future is. And, and maybe somewhat improbable is a little harsh. Um, and maybe they, maybe the bills view him in the same way. Maybe they say, He's a guy that we want to keep around, but we go and get that tight end one. We either draft him or we go out in free agency. We acquire that tight end one, and he's the perfect complement to a, you know, a legitimate number one tight end. I just don't believe that his body type, um, that his playing style fits the, the role of what a traditional tight end in this league does. He's not that Travis Kelsey type. He reminds me way more of that Delaney Walker um, tight end to – H back, tough to defend, um, great guy in 12 personnel. Um, I just don't view him as a legitimate uh, tight end one moving forward. So that's why I'd say his best role um, is in that complimentary role. And I'm not sure that he gets the opportunity to do that here in Buffalo. I think maybe I'm being a victim of camp reports right now, because I think a couple of weeks ago, I would have potentially said somewhat probable, but now I'm closer to somewhat improbable. And something that Joe Biscalia said earlier in our conversation when he was talking about Dawson Knox, he was like, you know, is Dawson Knox going to be the guy? I don't know. And, you know, there have been a couple bad drops in camp, which continue to be something that is an issue for Dawson Knox from a narrative standpoint. And when you look at that, you think, okay, tight end, three years is probably enough to give a tight end to develop um, when he's transferring from other positions, which he was a converted quarterback. And, you know, I think the Logan Thomas discussion is going to be a big part of people who want to give Dawson Knox a fourth year where they say, I'll give him one more year. They just say, well, well, at some point you have to say, okay, we've done enough. And I think that knowing the tight end is a difficult position to transition and knowing also that he's a converted quarterback, I think that extends him a little bit more leash. But I'm not sure anybody gets more leashes than three years. I don't think any player really gets more than three years when it comes to that kind of thing. And so even the rawest of quarterbacks, which we just saw the rawest of quarterbacks in Josh Allen break out year three in a good environment. And Dawson Knox has been in a good environment. So I really think that there's still a possibility that he becomes the guy for sure. But also, you and I had a conversation earlier this offseason, where we talked about the worry algorithm. Mm. And you expressed significant concern if Dawson Knox doesn't end up being the guy. I'm in a very different headspace than you are when it comes to Dawson Knox, mostly because, not necessarily because I think he's going to break out or he's not going to break out, because I think to myself, NFL offenses have survived without elite tight ends. Particularly this one. Yes. And they just don't make a lot of them. I mean... On one hand, I can count the absolute dynamic game-changing tight ends in this league, which means you have high 20s in teams that have managed to do it without them. So for me, yes, it would be ideal. I would prefer it for sure. But if it doesn't happen, oh, well, it was a third-round pick. You swing again. You move on. Nate, any closing remarks, any closing statements, anything you want to bring up before we get out of here? Uh, This was really, really fun. Um, I want to just share this uh, little piece of history with the folks um, that are that are watching Um, the signature you guys see are seeing right here on this uh, on this ball. That's a J and that's a P. This is JP Lossman's signature on this Drew Bledsoe London Fletcher 
and Eric Mould's football. On the back, Takeo Spikes. On the side panel, we've got Dante Whitner. And uh, another great one right here. I don't know how this happened to get on here as well, but that's Lee Evans. Uh, so this ball right here, I have a kind of a um, a Hall of Fame wall, uh, although that is not my Hall of Fame ball. This is my Hall of Fame ball that has Thurm, Andre Reed, uh, Bruce Smith. I don't know why this is the case, Bruce. Um, I have a ton of footballs with Bryce Pops. Uh, signature on it. I don't, I'm not really sure why, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to share those with the folks. Um, those are my closing remarks. JP Lossman signed footballs. That's who you're dealing with. That's the type of co-host you've got. You've got a guy with a JP Lossman signed mini football with, he signed it over Drew Bledsoe, Bruce. That's the level of petty I aspire to be really yes. when it boils down to it. He signed it right over, Drew right Bledsoe. over top of Drew Bledsoe. And you know, it was because of Drew Bledsoe's comment about, I don't want to be a backup, especially not for JP. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'll show you, man. I'm yeah, I'll sign right over you. This this kid's the future of Buffalo Bills Network Radio. Piece of shit. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it works. <laughs> for those of you who decided to join us live yes. for the grand opening, I cannot possibly thank you enough. The comment section was absolutely electric tonight. Thank yeah. you so much for being a part of this. For those of you who are listening to this as a podcast on Saturday morning because you were anxiously awaiting it because you couldn't make it. Try and join us if you can. If not, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're going to enjoy everything moving forward that Nate and I have got. We're very, very excited for what we've got going on here. Next week, I will be coming to you solo right after the Bills' first preseason game. I will be live on YouTube the second the game is over. And we'll be chatting about the preseason game and all the things that you cannot learn from watching a game like that. Right. Because... You know, it's preseason, but you know what? It's Bill's preseason. We're excited for those of you in attendance and watching and listening around the world. Thank you for being a part of this. Good evening and good night.